0: coming to God's Word together. Would you pray with me one more time? Lord, we ask for you to be gracious to us and to speak. You reveal your glory through speaking. As you spoke to Moses, you speak through your Son and through your Word and you speak through ministers of your word as we lift up your word to your people. So would you be gracious to us today and help us to see Jesus Christ in the third commandment and how through him this commandment applies to us. In Jesus' name, amen. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I bet if you're being honest, that command strikes some of you as a little bit odd. The first of the Ten Commandments calls us to worship no other God. God alone is God and we're to worship and serve him alone. Alone, undivided allegiance. Okay. The second command shows us how we're to worship and serve God. Given that he's God, he sets the terms on how we approach him. He determines how he's worshipped. Okay. But the third command, what does this call us to? Watch your OMGs. Be careful about not throwing out a JC when you stub your toe or a, a GD when you're cut off in traffic. Doesn't that strike you as just a little bit odd? I mean, the first two are so expansive and so weighty. The, the third feels like a small to-do on a, on a checklist that frankly isn't all that important. So I hope it makes you ask... I wonder if that's not the end-all, be-all of that command. I wonder if that's not even the substance of that command. I wonder if there's more to it. Brothers and sisters, like the last sermon, hopefully enlarged your understanding of what idolatry is and how pervasive it can be in our lives. Today, I hope to expand your understanding of this third commandment. I have to show you what this command is getting at, how this command is fulfilled in Jesus Christ and the massive implications it has for you. So as we continue in our series in the Ten Commandments, would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 20? Exodus chapter 20, and let's read verses 1 through 7 together. So if you're new to the Bible, you open it up. There's Genesis right there. Exodus is the next book. And when I say 20, those are big numbers. And when I say seven, those are small numbers. So 20 verse seven, but we're going to start in verse one, Exodus 20 verse one. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. A word about grace. When you think about salvation in the Old Testament, do you think it's by grace or by works? It's by grace. Salvation has always been by grace. These Ten Commandments are not God telling Israel how they earn a relationship with him. They already have a relationship with him by grace. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God brings them to himself and then commands them how to live as his people. And so it is with us through the blood of the Lamb that we've sung about and prayed. Through the blood of the Lamb, God has brought us out from the world out from our slavery to sin. Through the blood of the Lamb, He's made us His own by grace, all by grace. But make no mistake, having made us His own, God commands us how we are to live. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Let's look at this command in three questions. What, why, why? and how. You can look on your outline if that just helps you follow along. Let's look at the what. First of all, what do I mean? What does it mean to say, don't take the Lord's name in vain? The word vain can mean empty, can mean nothing, it can mean worthless, it can mean to no good purpose. The phrase do not take can mean do not take up, or Do not bear. So let's just break it down a little bit. Let's get a little bit clunky with it. Do not take God's name in vain is to say this. Do not take up God's name or do not bear God's name in a way that is empty or worthless or to no good purpose. The NIV and the Holman Christian Standard translate it like this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord. So this is about misrepresenting the name to take the name of the Lord in vain is to misrepresent his name and already that opens up categories that this is so much more than just about what you say you could misrepresent God by what you do and by how you live this isn't just about your words And so what does this look like? The Old Testament gives us many examples. So Leviticus 19.12, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Hosea 10.4, They utter mere words with empty oaths. They make covenants. So if an Israelite said something like this, As God lives, I swear that I will pay what I owe. If he said that, but then he didn't mean it, that's an empty oath. It's a false oath, and it misrepresents his name. It looks like false visions, and false claims to speak on God's behalf. Jeremiah 14, 14. Prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them, nor did I speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, a worthless divination, and the deceit of their own mind. These guys are claiming to speak for God, but they're not speaking for God. Thus, they're misrepresenting his name. You seen a pattern here? Now, this one's a bit of a shocker. Sacrificing one's children to the false god Molech was considered a violation of the third command. Leviticus 18.21 You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Now, why is this a violation of the third command? Because the people of Israel are called by the name of the Lord, and the Lord would never approve of a child being sacrificed to an idol. So, because his name is upon them, the other nations know hey, these are the people of God. To do such an ungodlike action misrepresents him. A couple of more. It looks like unlawfully touching the holy things. Leviticus 22.2. 2. Speak to Aaron and his sons that they abstain from the things of the people of Israel, which they dedicate to me, so that they do not profane my holy name. So if priests were ritually unclean, they can't handle the sacrifices because to do so is to treat God's holiness lightly. That misrepresents him. It also looks like the priests in Malachi's day who cut corners around every turn. Malachi 10.10 Oh, that there were a priest among you who would shut the doors of the temple. Now, you actually want the doors of the temple to be open. That's like the doors of the church being closed. You want the doors of the church to be open. But why does he say, Oh, that I wish, this is God speaking, I wish there was a priest who'd actually slam the doors of the temple shut. Why? So that you wouldn't kindle a fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept any offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the Gentiles and the nations. But you profane it. You bring what's been taken by violence or is lame or is sick. And this you bring as your offering. Cursed be the one who has an unblemished male in his flock. That's what God required for sacrifices to be brought, was an unblemished offering. Cursed be the one who has an unblemished male in his flock and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king and my name will be feared among the nations. So when God's people hold back what is due from God, pure sacrifices, costly sacrifices, when they hold back from God what he's due and when they offer up leftovers and cheap substitutes, that misrepresents his name to the nations. It communicates to the nations that God isn't so great, that God isn't so awesome, that God doesn't deserve the best you have. Well, look at Israel. Apparently, God's satisfied with leftovers. But God isn't satisfied with that. And they've misrepresented them. They've misrepresented him. And that breaks the third commandment. Well, what are the consequences of breaking the third commandment? We've asked, what is the third commandment? Let's ask, what are the consequences of breaking the third commandment? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The consequence is guilt. Not the feeling of guilt. The reality of guilt. In the eyes of the Lord God of heaven. Which hopefully does translate into a feeling of guilt, yes. But it's the reality of guilt. In the eyes of God. God, the judge of all. Your creator and redeemer counts you guilty. Guilty. And he is very serious about this. Leviticus twenty four sixteen. Let this make you very uncomfortable. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner as well as the native when he blasphemes the name of the Lord, that person shall be put to death. Now be clear. This is a civil law. For the nation of Israel, a comparison for us would be church discipline. But this is how serious God is about his name being taken lightly, represented wrongly. And I think we need to ask why. Why is God so serious about this? It's because his name represents who he is. Think about Exodus. When God speaks to Moses from the burning bush, Moses says, If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God replies with that that famous statement, I know you know it. I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. God names himself with... The Almighty, Sovereign, Self-Existing, Eternal One. His name represents Him. To know His name is to know Him. In Exodus 33, Moses asked to see God's glory. You know what God does? He speaks His name to Him. I will make all my goodness pass before you, I will proclaim to you my name, the Lord. God reveals himself through his name. Now just back up a second. Our names are not insignificant to our being. So when I hear the name Kristen, I don't think about eight letters or the different ways you could spell it. Is it with a, K? Is it with a CH? Is it with an I-N? Or is it with, a C- with an I I don't think about any of that stuff. When I hear Kristen, I'm filled with warm thoughts because I think about a person my wife. Names mark us out and names identify us. Over time, as people get to know you, when they hear your name, they think about you because your name embodies you. That's how it works. God's name represents him and God cares how he's represented. Thus, this command. To misrepresent his name is to misrepresent Him. That's why this is so serious. Because God wants a true representation of Him. Well, let's look at the how. How did Israel do? Badly. The history of Israel is a history of misrepresenting His name in thought, in word, and in deed. They misrepresented Him in thought, Remember what they did the moment they experienced trouble in the journey on the promised land? They threw up their hands in the air and they questioned whether or not God was even going to take care of them. Has he brought us into this wilderness to kill us? (laughs) uh, Those thoughts aren't right thoughts. Is this not the God who saved them from Egypt? Is not this God going to bring them all the way to the shore on the other side of Jordan? Of course. Of course. This is a misrepresentation of God in thought. They misrepresented Him in word. Throughout our history, Israel's false prophets prophesied falsely, testifying to whoever would listen that God's peace and love was upon them no matter what they did, no matter how they lived. Jeremiah 7 says, from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. Therefore they shall fall among the fallen when I punish them. They will be overthrown. And they misrepresented his name indeed. They misrepresented in thought, in word, and in deed. Listen to this text from Second Kings 17. It's a longer one, but just let it fall on you. The people of Israel did secretly against the Lord their God things that were not right. They built for themselves high places and all their towns from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and asherim on every high hill under every green tree. And there they made offerings on all the high places as the nations did whom the Lord carried away before them. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. And they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel by Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and by every seer saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen. They were stubborn as their fathers had been who did not believe the Lord their God. They despised his statutes and his covenants that he made with their fathers and the warnings that he had given them. They went after false idols and became false. And they followed the nations that were around them concerning concerning whom the Lord had commanded that they should not do like them. On and on it goes. Brothers and sisters, Israel utterly failed to keep the third commandment. They took upon themselves the name of God. We are God's people, they said. Yet they bore his name in vain. Which brings us to Jesus. You ever watch just an incredible game of basketball? So the NBA finals just ended? You watch any of those games and you just think, now that... That is how the game should be played right there. That is basketball. You're like, I don't watch basketball. Okay, some of you do. That's Jesus when it comes to representing the name of God. In every way. Not only does Jesus not take the name of the Lord God in vain, he does not misrepresent him positively. He displays who God is perfectly. Think about his thoughts. Every moment of every day of his life, he thought rightly and truly about God. The moment Israel experiences hunger in the wilderness, she despairs and thinks lowly of God. After 40 days of fasting, Jesus is still clear-headed. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Think about his words. Israel's prophets spoke lies, spoke peace to God's people who didn't live according to God's ways. Jesus exposed those lies. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, he said. Don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, just because you bear the name Abraham, Abraham being representative of God's people, don't presume you're okay. You need to bear fruit in keeping with the name you're called by. He spoke the truth about hypocrisy. He spoke the truth about sin. He spoke the truth about mercy. He spoke the truth about forgiveness. He spoke the truth about everything. Not only did Jesus' thoughts perfectly represent God, His words perfectly represented God. And His actions did too. Everything He did displayed the name of God everything he did displayed the character of God. God's perfections. God's mercy. God's patience. God's power. God's justice. God's wrath. Everything. Jesus perfectly represents God. Israel was supposed to She was supposed to be a light to the nations, but God said, this is Ezekiel 46, 36, you have profaned my name among the nations. But Jesus is the light of the world. If anyone would see God, if anyone would know God, if anyone here wants to see God, friend, you need only look to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus shows us God. If anyone has seen me, he says, he has seen the Father. I and my Father are one. But here's something interesting. You actually can't see Jesus right now, can you? You, you can't. So nobody say yes. <laughs> Jesus isn't here, Jesus is in heaven. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and you, friend, are here on earth seated at the right hand of whoever you're beside. And this gets us to where we need to go. It gets us to us. How does the world see Jesus? And through him, us. Through looking at the church. Through looking at the church. So here's where the rubber hits the road. Brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian, then you bear the name of the divine. Do you know that? You bear the name of the divine. Think about it. What happens when you place your trust in Christ? What happens when you turn from your sin and you cry out to God for mercy through Jesus? You become a Christian, you take on his name. God is explicit about this. Think about baptism. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We take on his name by faith. We are baptized into his name by faith. We come together as a local church to display and proclaim His name by faith. We bear the name and so you have to ask yourself, how are you doing when it comes to displaying His name? So if you're a note taker, just pick up your pen and and write down something for me. Let me just give you a simple phrase I think is going to help you get at what it means to take the Lord's name in vain today for all time for you what does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain it looks like thinking saying or doing things that misrepresent God it looks like thinking saying or doing things that misrepresent God so you take the name of the Lord you do When you use his name as a flourish for cussing, that's treating him lightly, carelessly. That's true. But let's think about other ways you take the Lord's name in vain. You could take the Lord's name in vain to fleece your own pockets. So, prosperity preachers take the Lord's name in vain. You can take the Lord's name in vain by bending God's morality to match the morality of the culture. So those who bend the character of God to accommodate Pride Month, take the Lord's name in vain. You can take the Lord's name in vain when you use Him to ascribe a false sense of authority to your plans. So if you're not really keen on serving in church ministry, just say you've prayed about it and God doesn't want you to do it. Or if you're not really keen on taking wise counsel from an elder regarding a decision you've made, just say you've prayed about it and this is what God wants you to do. That ascribes a false sense of divine authority to your actions, and it's taking the Lord's name in vain. By the way, pastors can do this all the time. God has told us to do this building campaign. Would you be obedient to God and join in giving? I think it's better to say, we have prayed and we think it wise and bold and courageous to do this building campaign would you join us as we venture that's not ascribing divine authority that hasn't been revealed it's just saying here's what we think so it's tricky you could take the name of the lord in vain when you use it to drum up political support in election season i am amazed at how every candidate finds a way to somehow invoke god's name except for a few and, and and he he seems to be behind every single one of them, no matter what they stand for or how their life is entirely foreign to the character of god that takes the lord's name in vain You, you can take the lord's name in vain by how you worship as a church, so churches that that take churches take the lord 's name in vain when their corporate worship is is characterized by by flippancy or or a showingness or Or only emphasizes certain truths about God. And instead of just trying to lay all of God bare. No matter the fact that he is very uncomfortable to us given our cultural sensitivities. So churches can take the Lord's name in vain in the way they worship. So are are you starting to get the idea of just how expansive this command is? It is so much more than just your words. But I want to press it down just a little bit further. I think the main thing, Christian, that you need to be mindful of when it comes to taking the Lord's name in vain is hypocrisy. What's hypocrisy? It's saying one thing, representing one thing, but the reality is another. And and as I think about this, as I think about those who claim Christ... I kinda wanna I kinda wanna identify two streams of application that I want to go down. One is the reality that all of us as Christians are hypocrites to some degree. All of us as Christians are hypocrites to some degree. All of us claim Christ as Lord and Savior, yet all of us do not represent Him as we ought. We don't think, we don't speak, we don't act in a manner consistent with His character. So just follow me for a second. When you go through something really hard, and if your thoughts towards God begin to come hard, as though He's done you wrong in some way, that's dangerous territory. You've got to recognize at that moment that those are unworthy thoughts about God. Those are unworthy thoughts to think about His glorious name. He has never been unfaithful to you, nor will He ever be unfaithful to you. So, Christian, don't, don't tolerate even unworthy thoughts about God. Nor should you tolerate unworthy words. What do your words communicate to those who are around you? Do your words communicate thankfulness, patience, peace, humility, forbearance, kindness, courage, joy, clarity? Christian, you represent Christ. To those around you. You display Christ to those around you. Are your words a true display of him? Or are you bearing, displaying his name in vain? And how about your actions? What do your actions declare? What does your browser history reveal about your character? What does your calendar reveal about what's important to you? What does the way you spend and give and keep and share reveal about what you love? What do your kids and and friends and co-workers see in your actions? Do they see a heart for God or... The third commandment runs deep. And nobody comes out clean. Nobody should come out of the last few minutes thinking, check, check. Ooh. you are guilty. You are. And I am. Nobody should come out clean. But that's where God, what God has done in Jesus Christ is just so sweet. In Him, He has not held us guiltless. Penalty for our sin has fallen on Jesus. Every one of our unworthy thoughts and every one of our unworthy deeds and every one of our unworthy actions or words, whatever, they have all fallen upon Jesus Christ. He has paid for your sin. God has satisfied his righteous wrath and judgment through the judgment you deserve falling upon Christ. Praise God. And so what do you do as a Christian? Well, you praise God for the gospel and you fight. You praise God for the gospel and you fight. You praise Him for forgiveness, but you aren't content with mere forgiveness. You want holiness. You want righteousness. And so you keep laboring to put your sin to death. Keep laboring to glorify His name, not take His name in vain or lightly or misrepresent Him, but glorify His name in all that you speak or think or do. That's what you do as a Christian with your pervasive disobedience to the third command. Congratulations, you're a sinner. Be dismissed. No, that's one stream of hypocrisy. That's one stream of application in the realm of hypocrisy in the room. I'll call it the garden variety of hypocrisy if I can say that without lessening its significance. But there is a deeper and more deceptive hypocrisy that I fear. And in a room this size, I cannot help but to think it must apply to some. Greatest hypocrisy of all is one that claims the name of Christ. You say you belong to him yet your life reveals that you are not his at all. You have taken his name upon you, but you have taken his name upon you in an empty way. There will be those at the judgment seat who say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out many demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These thought they knew him, but they didn't. These thought they knew him, but they didn't. And Jesus prefaces the statement by saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So is this you? Do you say you belong to him, but those who know you, those at home, do they see a person entirely different than the one you represent yourself to be on Sunday? Is all well on Sunday morning, but at home you are angry or distant or disinterested in anything having to do with the Lord? Do you come on Sunday morning, but you think nothing of God? Monday through Saturday that's very disturbing if that's the case do you say you belong to him but the substance of a relationship with him just isn't there you you don't love him you don't give yourself to prayer you, you you don't dig into the scriptures. This can go on despite church attendance. Perhaps you attend, but only on big occasions, or when your spouse drags you. Perhaps you're a member, but you attend just enough to stay off the radar of church discipline. All of these things are very disturbing. Do you say you belong to him, but you are unmoved by him and his word and his promises and the songs that we sing and the struggles that your brothers and sisters have? you say you belong to him, but you're not moved by him or his people? That is disturbing. Don't cover it up just saying, I've trusted in Christ. Cut's covering it up. Don't cover it up. Ask yourself, am I really His? Does that which the Bible says describes a Christian? One who is increasingly being characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. Is that me? Or have I taken His name in vain? Because the Lord will not hold you guiltless. You will send your soul to hell. Thinking you're a Christian. If you do that. I want to challenge you with that. Because I don't want you to take his name in vain. Instead I want you to take Jesus' name unto yourself. For the first time. Truly. Truly really from your heart to turn from your sin and to trust in the lord jesus christ to receive his name and for him to take the punishment of all your hypocrisy no matter how long it's been going on and to be cleansed and accepted and forgiven so that He does not hold you guiltless through Jesus. That's what I want for you. There are so many ways in which those who claim the name of Christ misrepresent Christ to a lost and confused world. How many times do we hear, I don't want anything to do with Christ because I've seen the things that Christians have done. Brothers and sisters, that's true. We have done some terrible things. And when we do, and when we have, and when there is a high-profile pastor who falls and disgraces himself, let us mourn and confess that for what it is. It's wrong. But let's make sure we also aren't contributing to the picture of hypocrisy that slanders the name of God to a dying world by not living to glorify His name ourselves. Let's praise God for the gospel. Let's fight the good fight to glorify His name. And please be honest with yourself. Have you taken His name in vain? Really, truly? Thinking you belong to Him, but the substance just isn't there if you're being honest. His name for yourself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the eternally significant reality of your word. Lord, you are the God who. calls us to worship you and you alone and you are the God who tells us how we are to worship you and you alone and you are the God who wants to be represented honorably and well and we thank you that in Jesus you are and we long to represent you well ourselves give us grace God we are stumblers and strugglers and we ask for your grace to buoy us up and speed us along the gospel way